Welcome to the podcast from Trinity United Methodist Church in Ruston, Louisiana. Our prayer is that God uses this time to speak specifically to you, regardless of where you are on your faith journey. We'd also like to invite you to worship with us every Sunday morning at 8.30 or 10.45, either in person or online at www.trinityruston.org. Thanks for listening. We continue in our sermon series on the purpose of power, study from the book of James. The purpose of power, study from the letter of James. And so we read first chapter 1, verses 12 through 21, verses 12 through 21. Listen to the word of God. Blessed is anyone who endures temptation. Such a one has stood the test and will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. No one, when tempted, should say, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself tempts no one. But one is tempted by one's own desire, being lured and enticed in it. Then when the desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And that sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. Do not be deceived, my brothers, my beloved. Every generous act of giving with every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation of shadow due to change. In fulfillment of his own purpose, he gave us birth by the word of truth so that we would become a kind of first fruits of his creatures. You must understand this, my beloved. Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. For your anger does not produce God's righteousness. Therefore, rid yourselves of all sordidness and rank growth of wickedness and welcome with meekness the implanted word that has the power to save your souls. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Please be seated. There is no doubt in my mind that God has a unique purpose for each and every person. It's one of the reasons that Jeremiah 29 is so powerful. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. But it is also true that while God has given each one of us unique gifts, unique passions, unique opportunities to pursue a unique path, There is a purpose that is, in essence, for every single person who proclaims Jesus as Lord. And James is pretty darn clear about what it means to live a life of purpose in Jesus Christ. Today, we continue with the second of two parts of this sermon series, a purpose of God for us for all who profess Jesus Christ is to grow 
to grow in maturity, to grow in understanding, to grow in faithfulness, and above all, to grow in such understanding with God that our outside behavior mirrors our inside conviction. Not just for our own well-being and not just for our own individual relationships with Jesus Christ, but, but because when our outside and our inside match, when there is a consistency of spirit and action, we are much more effective witnesses to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mentioned last week that nothing stands in the way more of the seeker, of the unbeliever, of the not yet believer to believing in Jesus Christ than Christians who proclaim one thing but behave another way completely. And we all do to a manner or degree. But surely our understanding must be that God has no intention of leaving us today in whatever stage we are in in our relationships with God so that we are not one year from now, one month from now, more devoted and more consistent than we are today. And James doesn't pull any punches. He begins by telling us that there are two things we must acknowledge The first is that God provides all things we receive which are good. All good gifts come ultimately from God. And the second is that God is not the one who tempts us. God has no desire to put evil in front of our faces in the hopes that we will follow wickedness instead of him. Temptations do not come from God. Now quickly let me add that we all know what it's like to have had our faith tried, tested. Sometimes it is because of things beyond our own control, illness or death or sorrow, the loss of a job, the loss of a friendship, the breakdown of a marriage, all manner of things. Our faith can be tested to the point where we ask, God, are you real? Are you there? Do you care for me? Do you love me? Temptation is what beckons us in an oh-so-attractive voice to behave in a manner that is opposed to the word and will of God. And that never comes from God. I mentioned that there are two sources I use for this sermon series in particular. One is Ben Stewart's This Changes Everything. And he writes, to put it simply, your temptations come from you. Because that's what James says. He says that in the words of James... Using a fishing analogy, there are lures that seem so attractive to us that we are blinded by the fact that they contain a hidden hook. He says, but it is equally true that not every temptation is a lure for every one of us. 
For some, the temptation is in the middle of relationships that are broken to seek satisfaction outside of marriage in inappropriate ways. For others, the temptation is not to listen to God at all and to believe of others and of self something contrary to what the Lord has decreed. Or maybe in a world in which we can have images, photographs, at the ready on our smartphones, on the internet, on a laptop or an iPad, people can be tempted to watch inappropriate pictures for hours on end. That temptation is not of God. And then there is, of course, the temptation to say, I cannot believe that she is tempted by that. Well, I don't know why she just doesn't quit drinking. Well, I don't know why he doesn't just quit eating. I don't know why they don't just quit. Not everyone's lure is the same. But it is a mistake to believe there is not a lure for each one of us and probably more than one. In fact, Ben Stewart says... I advise you to spend as much time as possible working to understand yourself. Be a student of yourself and your own unique affections. Understand what causes you to feel tempted and then work on strategies to avoid those temptations and resist the ones you can't avoid. And I would say one of the temptations is to fail to be a part of a community of support. I don't like church, so I'm not going. I don't want to be a part of a small group. They might ask me personal things. I don't want to be a part of a Sunday school class. What if I don't know anything? And yet it's precisely in these kinds of groups and small groups that we become accountable to one another and encouraged to battle our temptations together. And I'm not proclaiming that we stand up in front of everybody and air our dirty laundry, but surely God calls us to community so that we can encourage one another to resist our temptations According to James, the stirring up of our desires itself is not the sin. Temptation is not a sin. But when we allow ourselves to be seduced by our desires, when we submit to temptation, there is a consummation that happens. A union takes place. And when we join with our desires in that way, it conceives sin So how do you battle temptation, Ben Stewart asks. Here's James' simple admonition. Before you take a ride with temptation, look down the road to see where it will take you. Many a temptation could be avoided if only we would take the time to see the logical conclusion of where our behavior is leading. Sin looks much less sexy when viewed in the bright light of day. James implores us not to be deceived. He does not simply mean fooled into believing destructive desires will bring life. James takes us to a deeper level, talking about God's nature as a father who cares for his children. Why? 
Because at the root of our temptation stands a failure to see God rightly. Our fundamental problem is not lust or greed or anger. Our fundamental problem is our theology. We failed to believe that God can and will take care of us. We failed to believe that God can and will take care of us. And yet, as we are born again and receive the good gift of eternal life, we become evidence throughout the universe that God's goodness and the restoration of life will come. In the book, the Christian atheist Craig Groeschel says this, The reason we get into trouble with temptations is because we believe wrongly that God wants first and foremost for our happiness. And therefore, we think if it makes us happy, God must want us to do it, to pursue it, to believe it, to say it. He says, we venture into extremely dangerous territory when we start to believe that God's ultimate plan is for our happiness. If we believe that God wants us happy above all else rather than acknowledge that our role is to serve God, we wrongly believe that God exists to serve us. Think about the implications of this polluted theology. I tried religion, but it didn't make me happy. I went to church, but it didn't make my life better. God didn't help me have a better life, so he either failed me or he's not real. Either way, I'm not interested. First, God does not want us to be happy when it comes to doing something wrong or unwise. In God's plan, the end never justifies the means. The end never justifies the means. Usually, without our knowing it, our pursuit of happiness through stuff is doomed to fail because it's based on a lie. Our actions confirm that a disturbing number of us truly believe this equation. Better possessions, more money, plus peaceful circumstances, plus thrilling experiences, plus right relationships, plus the perfect appearance equals happiness. But we know that's a lie. When we believe the things of this world will provide happiness, we will settle for a counterfeit. And then he says this, When we reach the final principle of godly happiness, we find a promise of unbelievable blessing. God doesn't want us to be happy because God wants us to be blessed. The happiness of this world is based on fickle things, but the blessings of God transcends the things the world offers. And so then we know James wants to be very intentional in giving us ways to combat the temptations that we follow, not to pursue a life of happiness, but one of service and obedience in which we are growing in our understanding and our faithfulness and our servanthood. And he names something that is so true. And so very quickly, look with me to chapter three, verses one through five. Chapter three, verses one through five. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. 
For all of us make many mistakes. Anyone who makes no mistakes in speaking is perfect, able to keep the whole body in check with the bridle. If we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we guide their whole bodies. Or look at ships, though they are so large that it takes strong winds to drive them, yet they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great exploits. How great a forest is set ablaze by a small fire. James makes the point. He calls out what we know to be true. How we speak directs how we relate to each other and to God. It's not just whether or not we offer a compliment now and then. It's how we see what we say affects so many more. If we speak disrespectfully, we will sow disrespect. If we gossip, we sow gossip. If we break confidences, we develop a relationship of not being trustworthy. We have a way of speaking that either brings life or does not. And if we are honest, there may be many lures for many people, but I don't know any who are not tempted from time to time by the tongue to speak harshly, to believe that others are absolutely entitled to my opinion. But it's not just what we say. We can hide behind silence and say, well, Lord, at the end of the day, at least I didn't say anything unkind, all the while watching as lies are transpiring, all the while watching as injustice is rolling down, all the time while realizing there are people who need us to stand up for them, and we don't say a word. I saw a sign on a church marquee that said, sometimes silence is not golden. It's yellow. If we are honest, we have to acknowledge that the temptations come from within here. When I am tempted to speak to you in a harsh way or to proclaim gossip that is not true or is it my place to say that is not of God. And the spiritual forces of wickedness are at work. So we can use our voices to bring life, to share the gospel, to encourage, to uplift, to hold accountable. And we can use our silence to bring life or as a weapon. But a power of purpose for us is to grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ, intentionally take responsibility for what tempts us And to say to the Lord, not my way but thine. And if you agree, say amen. Thanks for listening to the Trinity Podcast. To find out more about Trinity, visit us online at www.trinityreston.org.